Welcome to our Ecclesia study where we investigate the claims of the Bible. For many people, one of the main deterrents to accepting the teachings of Jesus is the noticeable disconnect between what Jesus taught and what many self-professed Christians say and do. As we investigate the Bible, we look into how C.I. Schofield and his reference Bible have influenced literally thousands of evangelical pastors and millions of evangelical Christians into fervently believing that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and should be revered and supported without question in spite of its undemocratic and inhumane treatment of both Christian and Muslim Palestinians for over 60 years of occupation. Our study leader is Mark Horton. To get notices of our new Bible examination programs, go to our website, whtt.org, and enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right-hand side of the website. Thanks for joining in our quest. In today's Bible examination, we're in chapter 7 of Hebrews, and we'll be starting in the uh, 11th verse, and we'll be talking about the imperfection of the Arianic priesthood as compared to the perfection of Christ's priesthood. And as we'd like to do, we'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, again, we come to you. Uh, we beseech you to uh, give us the eyes to hear and the uh, eyes to see and the ears to hear and to apply what we've learned today from Mark's teaching. And we thank you that we can come and study these things and put these things we learn to knowledge to show that Christ is real to one and all. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, Mark. Amen. Good evening. We have been examining the seventh chapter of Hebrews, and we just finished a section, well, comparing Melchizedek to Levi. Both are acknowledged as uh, priests or high priests in the Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus. And we're now ready to start at verse 11. Let's begin by reading verses 11 through 14, please. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, if the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke, nothing concerning priesthood. Great. Thank you very much. Now, Christ hasn't been explicitly mentioned in this uh, little section on Melchizedek up till now. But the point is, Christ is that Melchizedek was a very important type of Christ, a person who represented important aspects of Christ's redemptive work. There's only the two passages that deal with Melchizedek in the Bible. The one is back in Genesis, which we read and talked about last time. Even before that, our author here had quoted from the 110th Psalm. And in the 110th Psalm, David's 
heir is promised that he will be made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this would be hundreds of years after Aaron's priesthood was established uh, in the early days of the exodus out of Egypt. David lived and ruled around 900 B.C. So Aaron's descendants had been serving as the high priest for Israel for hundreds of years at the time that this psalm was recorded that promised that one of David's descendants would become a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Our writer here is arguing that the Aaronic priesthood had obviously not completed God's plan to mediate between God and man. Otherwise, this promise of a priest like Melchizedek would have been meaningless. And this is in the context of an entire letter here written to a group of Judean believers who are part of a synagogue community and they're trying to avoid uh, severe persecution by just slipping back and becoming nondescript synagogue members. And our writer has gone into a very detailed argument comparing the old age, which is on its way out. I mean, within just a few years of this letter being written, the old age would completely end uh, when the temple is literally scraped off of Mount Zion and thrown into Gehenna or hell. The old age would end, and the new age at that same moment would be completely inaugurated. So here he is continuing to develop the argument that the priesthood of the old age was the priesthood of Aaron, and it was not complete. It was not capable of reconciling man to God. The Judean scholars who studied the prophets and the law understood that when Messiah came, there would be a time of restoration. And we talked a lot about that when we examined the book of Acts recently. Peter acknowledges this in Acts 3 up in the temple courtyard. The time of restoration had come where God would really restore the breath to Israel, which had become dead. God was going to bring things back to life and was going to restore all things. And so some of the Judean scholars understood that there would be a priest at that time that would also be a king, but most of them did not make that connection. Our readers are clearly told here that perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood, which had been their whole life. I mean, that's what they grew up with. That was part and parcel of this old age. And in the second uh, verse, verse 12 that we read, he makes the argument that with a change of priesthood, there would necessarily have to be an abrogation of the law. Uh, change is in a lot of our versions, but it's a very strong word for uh, change that means disestablishment or removing. So it's not just a change, but it's, it's really a cancellation 
of the law that priests were part of. The law served as a schoolmaster until the Messiah came, according to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3. And this is so critical, and I miss this for so much of my life. The idea that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to me, was just simply, it's a book of dry history that tells us the genealogy from Adam to Abraham to Jacob to Judah to David to Christ. But it's so much more than that. Paul understands and tells us that the law should make any true student of it aware of their sin and their lack of any standing in God's presence. As a Pharisee for all of his life until Christ appeared to him, he had believed, along with the other Pharisees, that the law allowed them to justify themselves before God through perfect law-keeping. And we have too many people today who are still trying to do the same thing, sadly. But I think this is an important idea that the law was supposed to... A a true student of the law, such as Simeon and Anna, who were waiting in the temple when Mary and Joseph came to dedicate the child uh, Yeshua in the temple... They understood that Israel didn't need perfect obedience because they knew that was impossible. Israel needed a Savior. And this is what Simeon and Anna pronounced as the child was dedicated according to the law of Moses. And Paul came around to that way of thinking. Too many people, again, particularly our Zionist and dispensational friends, They're trying to bring back the law when all the law did was demonstrate that it was impossible to have standing in God's presence through law-keeping. And so our author is telling us that with the change of priesthood, this law is going to be abrogated. And that's a good thing for most of us because... We don't need justice according to the law. We need mercy. Perhaps it's even prevalent amongst teachers in this country, in the Protestant churches, make a big distinction between the moral law of the Old Testament and the ceremonial law. But this distinction is not found anywhere in the Bible. We can infer that there is some differentiation between all the ceremonies, of the law and the moral principles. But when Paul or this writer of this letter are writing about the law, to them it's all one thing. It's the whole law, the will of God. And so we need to be careful about those human uh, distinctions. This author, as well as Paul, understood that the law was a temporary thing That was part of a temporary age that would pass when Messiah came to inaugurate the age of restoration. And the Aaronic priesthood would be 
superseded, replaced, not another added to it and they would both continue in good standing. And God made absolutely sure that the Aaronic priesthood could not continue by completely wiping away the altar and the temple uh, in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And so there has been no place or purpose or function for the Aaronic priesthood since A.D. 70. And the rabbinical Jews have explained this away by basically creating a man-made religion that focuses on moral precepts, to some degree at least, and just completely ignores the fact that they cannot keep any of the ceremonial parts of the law that were tied to the temple. The point is driven home by the simple fact that this psalm, Psalm 110, is speaking to a descendant of David who could not have anything to do with the tribe of Levi, even though his mother was interrelated with the tribe of Levi in the Judean genealogies, the, the wife, when she married, she took the genealogy of her husband. And this conveniently would clear up any such confusion, although a few Christian writers in the Middle Ages apparently did try to make a big deal that Jesus was also part of the tribe of Levi. Technically, he was not. Even if Joseph had just been his adopted father, which in a sense he was, he would take the genealogy of his father just as Mary would take the genealogy of her husband. And so this is a very, very important point that the entire Levitical priesthood would be replaced by a different kind of priesthood like Melchizedek's. Our writer here would not look with any favor on an attempt to create a new physical priesthood by supposed descendants of Aaron, even though we presumably have a significant percentage of the Zionist and dispensational community that are trying to bring about just that exact thing. Priesthood of Melchizedek through Christ is not exercised physically on earth in a physical temple. It is entirely of a spiritual nature. All right, any thoughts or comments, questions? One, you said that the Aaronic priesthood was uh, replaced by Jesus' greater priesthood. Uh, we are constantly accused by the Christian Zionists of employing replacement theology, which says just that. Is not what we practice replacement theology? Don't we, don't we believe that God replaced uh, the Old Covenant with something better? And yeah, what, but not the, the people in our list. We tried to really emphasize the detail on this uh, when we looked at the book of Acts. What the book of Acts teaches us is not that God replaced Israel with the church, which is true replacement theology. And this is a great mistake that nearly all Christian denominations, uh, certainly evangelicals have made, except the dispensationalists perhaps, is that there's some entity called the church that is replaced Israel. And of course you can't even say that without being called an anti-Semite and so on. As we demonstrated 
in looking at the book of Acts, the promises in the Old Testament were not made to an entity called the church. They were all made to physical Israel, just as our dispensational friends say. But those promises involved a complete transformation of Israel when Messiah would come. And we looked at that in laborious detail and repeated it numerous times because it is so different than what most of us have grown up hearing. So it is not replacement theology per se, but there are within this idea of transformational theology that Israel was transformed from a spiritually dead physical kingdom into a pure spiritual kingdom by the redemptive work of Christ and that through the work of Paul specifically acting under specific assignment from Jesus himself the foreign nations were invited to participate in God's spiritual reformation of Israel now that being said within the new Israel certain things have been completely replaced. The law has been completely abrogated, and the Aaronic priesthood has been completely ended in a very dramatic way, as I stated a few minutes ago. So it's a minor distinction, but very, very important. The Bible is all about Israel, but not the present physical state of Israel. It is about the Israel that God intended from before the foundation of the world to create, and he could only do that through the redemptive work of Christ, and it is a spiritual Israel, and Israel just simply means they rule with God, and so the people that Christ chooses to dwell in are Israel today. We as believers are those who rule with Christ, and that's the meaning of Israel. Well, I don't want to beat that to death. Does that... Sure, and and those Europeans were really smart when they picked the name Israel for themselves, when they captured somebody else's land. Extremely clever choice of names. Yep, because again, all those promises were truly made to Israel, just as our Zionist friends claim, as we examine in the book of Acts. All right, well, let's go on and read uh, verses 15 through 19. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Great. Thank you very much. All right. So again, we have the contrast that we saw over and over again in the book of Acts and all the way thus far in this book between physical things and spiritual things. So Christ's physical life ended and restarted and then ended again a few days later. 
His spiritual life is indestructible. That's the meaning of that word there in verse 16. It's translated as endless. It is. It means uh, indestructible or permanent. Permanent life of Christ. That is a spiritual life because the Bible is very clear. He dwells in the hearts of the believers forever. So the contrast, the physical things of the old age compared to the spiritual and eternal things of the new age. And then our writer re-quotes the 110th Psalm, uh, which he's already mentioned at least twice, maybe more than that, uh, already in the letter. And he calls this promise that David's descendant will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, he calls this a cancellation of the previous commandment, which is part of the law of Moses, the part that established Aaron's priesthood. He points out the weakness of it, that it was weak and unprofitable, and that it made nothing perfect, could not reconcile men to stand in good standing before God. But it introduced a better hope by which we approach God. And I I personally believe that at the time he wrote this, they called it a hope because the, the new age was under construction. This new spiritual Jerusalem was under construction, but it had not yet been dedicated. The Bible is very clear that the new temple would be dedicated when the old temple was wiped away and thrown into hell or Gehenna. That Luke uh, 21 verse 22 makes that statement very clearly. It's also demonstrated in the book of Revelation after the harlot riding the beast of Rome is utterly destroyed by those who had formerly been her allies then the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven as a perfect bride, perfectly adorned for her husband, but she is also the new Jerusalem, the city foursquare, the new living temple or spiritual temple of living stones. So he's just kind of uh, driving this home. The important point here is that the priests under Aaron's order died physically one after the other. So there was a constant turnover of the priesthood under Aaron. But Melchizedek had no predecessor and no successor, as we discussed last week. And he represented Christ's eternal priesthood. He is a priest forever, just as the 110th Psalm states. No real peace of mind could be had by following the law of Moses, and no one, even a high priest, had immediate access into God's presence. But there were faithful remnants within Israel through all their generations, and those are the heroes of faith that keep cropping up throughout the narrative of what we call the Old Testament. And our writer is going to come back to them and rattle off a list of them when we get 
to the 11th chapter. And these people did enjoy a peace of mind and a sense of nearness to God. And David did, in fact, in spite of being a murderer and an adulterer, he was able to enjoy a peace of mind and a sense of nearness to God as evidenced in many of his psalms. But all of these things were possible only by understanding that God was going to send something better than what the age of Aaron and Moses had to offer. The 32nd Psalm, for instance, says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh imputes no iniquity. So that writer knew peace of mind. The 73rd Psalm says, It is good for me to be near God. And we even recall in looking at the book of Acts, where in Acts 15, the apostles commented that the prophecy had been fulfilled that the fallen tabernacle of David was being rebuilt. And remember that David set up a tent where the Ark of the Covenant could be seen by all peoples of all nations who dwelt in Jerusalem. David allowed people to get near God by ignoring the law of Moses, (laughs) by ignoring all the Aaronic priests who were down with the other tabernacle, going through the rituals endlessly day after day, but not allowing people to be near God. So the hint was there all the time in the Old Testament, but it was also hinted that this nearness to God could not be possible through obedience to the law of Moses. The gospel of Christ has achieved this perfection that David and the psalmist wrote about that the law could never accomplish. All right, any thoughts or questions? Do you think, just in your opinion, Mark, that that the presentation to us in uh, the books of Judges and Kings and so on about David uh, showing his ability to commit all the sins, not just murder and adultery, but he touched on just about every one that you could think of Yeah. <laughs> during yep. his life. I don't know if he missed any. Maybe he did all the ten on the record. Was this to show us somehow that the system of the law didn't work? Or is this a Hebrew manifestation of the way they viewed things when they wrote the books? What, what's your well, thoughts? It's very unique. I mean, no, no other religion takes its heroes and paints them with clay feet like the Old Testament does. I mean, it's clay really amazing. Hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's very unique. I mean, personally, I think this is to demonstrate the unlimited power of God's grace to save even the most depraved sinner. And, and people still have great trouble uh, wrestling with this, with their past, uh, with their past mistakes, and so on, they're still trying to write a legalistic system into the New Testament gospel of the law of Christ instead of the law of Moses, and they're still terrified to die. Uh, They don't believe their prayers are heard, and so on. So David serves as a great example of the unlimited power of God to heal 
the human condition. And this is all a picture of Messiah, of Jesus Christ. David was the man after God's own heart because his passion was to build a place for God to dwell where all men could have access to God. And this was God's purpose from before the creation of our universe. All right, well, there's another short section here, verses 20 through 22. I think we can get through. As inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So, again, we're, we, we're not replacing Israel with the church, but we are replacing the old covenant. We are replacing the old priesthood. Okay, that's our writer's very clear on that. And uh, if that's politically incorrect, well, that's just the way that it has to be. There is no mention of a divine oath involved with the appointing of Aaron's descendants as priests. But Christ's priesthood is inaugurated with the swearing of an oath by God the Father himself. There is no greater for God to swear on than his own name or his own self. And the fact that God swears an oath in this promise to David that one of his heirs would become a priest like Melchizedek, this is yet another proof of the superior dignity of the Melchizedek priesthood over Aaron's priesthood. Jesus' superior dignity over Aaron is confirmed uh, yet again after quite a long argument up to this point. And our writer is confident that as the new priest is far superior to the old priests, so the new covenant is vastly superior to the covenant that was involved with the old priesthood of Aaron. This is actually the first time that the word covenant appears in this letter, but the the concept of comparing the old covenant to the new has already been going on, and and it's really going to be emphasized in some of the following parts of the letter that we haven't got to yet. Some scholars even call the letter to the Hebrews the letter of the covenant. So it's going to take a central point in in our writer's argument here. He's still got two more proofs of the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood that he wants to go through here. So this is probably a good point to break. Mark, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. 
and be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.